Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. This week I'm talking with Caitlin Cook. Here is a little bit from Caitlin. So what then happens is, and if you've meditated before, you'll know the more that you're like thinking, thinking, thinking about something, the less you're actually in the moment, in your body, in the experience of it. And particularly with intimacy, that is such a, a tactile and energetic experience. When you're really just like focusing on thinking about it and analyzing it, you're kind of missing these really core, beautiful parts of the experience. Caitlin shared openly all about her work in bringing mindfulness to sexuality. But before I tell you about it, here is a quick word from our sponsor for this week. A brand new product to market, Roy Mint Company produced the highest quality fresh mints you can find and through a connection to local artists have created an entirely different mint experience. Available only in select coffee shops, partner locations and online, you can learn more at roymintco.com and share their journey through following Roy Mint Co. on Instagram. That which is in the darkness is often the thing that needs to be approached, observed, and offer curiosity rather than denial. For me, and I think many in our culture, sexuality was and is something that is misunderstood, something we feel shame about, something we think we are supposed to just get. This is one of the many reasons why I appreciate Caitlin Cook and the work she is doing. Going through her own journey of embracing her sexual and sensual being, she now enables others to understand this part of themselves doing so in a way that makes it accessible, removes awkwardness and shame, and as a result liberates this and many other parts of their life. And of course, there is so much fun to be had in the process. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy listening to Caitlin Cook on the subtle disruption of sexuality and sensuality. All right, Caitlin, so good to be chatting with you. Very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you want to start by talking about what you've chosen for our chat today? Yes, so we're in my lounge in Thornbury, and I guess because I am a little bit like a cat, I like soft places to lie down, (laughs) and so I'm on my couch, and yeah, it's just like nice and cozy and lovely here, so I thought it could be a nice place for a chat. Yeah, you are like a cat, is that, there's obviously some irony there, given your name as well. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and my mum is a crazy cat lady, and so I've just grown up with cats a lot and feel very connected to them because cats are curious and they go on adventures and then also come back and nap on comfortable things. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I feel like that's me. Yeah. Did it time to go out and explore and then to come back to the safe haven? Yeah, yeah. have a little snuggle and then off you go again. Is there cats here? Um, we've got a neighborhood cat that comes and visits, Willow, but, um, and she's increasingly friendly and she comes inside, but she's not ours. Yeah. Yeah. I pretend that she is. <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to feed her. My housemate strictly forbids me from feeding her. Yeah. That's, that's the end really, isn't <laughs> yeah. it at that point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. And do you spend, like we're here on a Thursday, you, do you spend quite a bit of time working out of here as well? Yeah, I do actually. I was talking to my friend Kirsty about this today and we were thinking about 
if we did co-design a co-working space, what it would be like. And it would basically just be home, but for more people to mm. be there. Yeah, because I like soft things to lie down on at any time of day. So being at home is good for that. Drinking tea whenever you need it. And I do tend to work from bed, my bed quite a lot, which I know isn't good for you, but I can't help it. And then also you just get to wear whatever you want. And if you don't want to wear pants, you don't have to wear pants. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. <laughs> which is another, I guess cats don't wear pants either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me about that. I'm interested in that co-designing and co-working space because we were talking earlier before we started this about that I used to run a co-working space and I've worked out of one. And I'm interested in, given your background and the, some of the stuff you do at Huddle, how would you go about that co-working space and co-designing it? Like, what would you be thinking about in mm, doing that? Yeah, well, I guess the things that people really need and want out of the space and what, I guess, what, they've, what kind of spaces they've been in that have really worked for them and the spaces that haven't worked for them. And, basically, yeah, bringing those two together to co-design a, yeah, really amazing space that has all the elements that make people feel really at home, really productive, connected, but not distracted. Mm. Um, yeah. I, do you know Al Jeffrey? No. He's a guy that I oh, spoke to on the... Yes, I do. You do? Yeah, yeah. 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 Good friends with Lily. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I spoke to him ages ago and... We talked all about co-living on the podcast. And oh, of course, yeah. It's interesting what you're describing there because it's a mashup between co-living and co-working, what you're mm, talking about there and having, having a, like this kind of place on a larger scale. Because, yeah, I go to co-working spaces at the moment and they're supposed to be kind of cutting edge, right, and like this is the workplace of the future or, you know, this is the way I want it to be. But I took a year off and even going back to it, I found just it seems so rectangular mm. <laughs> or so um, not soft and cosy. You know, not a lot of mm. places to just go and sit on a couch or to even be inspired a little bit by nature or not even connect with people. Like yeah, it, yeah, right. Yeah, because um, I, I, um, I was doing some work from home and then I just sat out in the garden and read my book for 10 minutes and it was so nice and I was like, man, this is such a good office. Like yeah. just being able to go out and like eat some tomatoes from the garden and then go back and do some work and like you yeah. know, catch a little few, a few sun rays as well. So, yeah, the rectangle kind of box doesn't sound that good. No. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think it might die. I hope it dies. <laughs> <laughs> so the work that you're doing out of here, what are you actually doing? So I do tantric workshops and one-on-one -on -one sessions as well. And that sort of revolves around um, bringing mindfulness to sexuality, but not just sexuality. Well, sexuality as a way, exploring sexuality in a way that opens up other elements of your life as well. So how you feel about your body, how you feel about relationships, how you feel about confidence and spontaneity and expression, creativity, because those are all elements that are involved in your sexuality. And so to be exploring those things and developing those things in that context has all sorts of expressions in your wider world as well. Yeah, so I um, do workshops, I do private sessions, and then I also write resources as well for people to kind of experiment with some stuff and deepen some stuff in their home play kind of practice as well. Yeah. Mm. Do you think, you know, you talked about how working on that kind of stuff has implications for many other areas of the person's life. Yeah. Why do you start there or why do you work there in particular? Because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, well, I think 
I think that there's, I mean, you can start in so many different areas and avenues. Like I spoke to a friend of mine who does spearfishing and the way that he talked about spearfishing, I was like, man, that sounds really tantric. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think for him, like that's kind of his meditation and his process of discovering more about himself and becoming more one with the world. But sexuality for me is something that, I don't know, it's like, it's like food or air or exercise. It's something that you just naturally do or your body kind of moves toward whether you have a partner or not because you can, you can be very sexually alive and be totally single for years, you know, like having a partner doesn't, isn't the thing that allows you to explore sexuality. Mm. And because it's something that we as humans and even like, you know, asexual people, I would say there's still, there's still a, an exploration of their own sexuality to get to that point of, oh, actually I feel pretty like comfortable with not having any of that kind of activity going on. Mm. But because, yeah, sexuality is such a like part of human existence and pleasure is such a part of human existence, it's just a really interesting place to, a rich place of personal development because it does have so many elements of what it means to be a human. And so for me, I don't know, I'm pretty economical So, like, when I went to university and discovered that I could do two degrees and, like, just with a little bit more time and money than one degree, but you could get two instead of one, I was like, yes, I'll do that. And then same with the sexuality stuff when I sort of started discovering how much you could get out of, like, one hour of sort of tantric exploration and what it can give to the rest of your life. I was like, yeah, that's good bang for your buck so to speak, I will explore that. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And, but ultimately like the thing that I really like about it is that it doesn't take itself too seriously and it's fun. And I've been to many therapy sessions and done lots of different personal development work and I really appreciated it all. And I still see a therapist now, but yeah, I really like when things can feel kind of like more easeful and playful and not so like, you know, like whipping yourself on the back, trying to make yourself a better human. You're, yeah, mm. there's, there's a bit more grace and flow about it. Yeah. Mm. I think, I mean, it's, I've been to one of your group sessions. I can't remember what it was called. It was like an introduction to Tantra or something like yeah. that, I think. And um, what was the name of that place? Is it? Uh, Second Story Second Studios. Second Story, yeah, that's yeah. right. And like for me, it's a, like it's a very new world. Yeah. Um, I grew up in quite a restrictive environment sexually, like a very Christian kind of upbringing. Me too. Did you? Yeah, yeah. okay. Good, yeah. so you can identify. <laughs> well, let's dig into that a little bit in a second. But um, yeah. for many people, I guess, you know, you describe it as fun, but I imagine it would be quite daunting as well mm. to start to dabble and engage in this kind of stuff. Definitely. And maybe um, there's a lot of fear and murkiness and unknown. Yeah, mm. is that true? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, particularly sexuality is so in the shadows culturally. And I think it is a kind of cultural Christian heritage that we have where sexuality is this like hush-hush thing that you don't talk about. And yeah, it's in the shadows. Mm. And so to then start talking about it, kind of like money as well, like no one really talks about that either. And so then suddenly to be talking about it and to be talking about it in a group of people and to like for your body to potentially be involved in that as well. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but for me, I feel like, yeah, Tantra, also when you're beginning Tantric explorations, it's not all, I mean, there's not like a whole lot of naked people like 
like running around with their fingers being like, what can I do with this? <laughs> um, it's like way more easygoing. Would you agree? It's like it's not so no, yeah, it's, petrifying uh, as what your imagination might be leading you. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But I think for me, I'm, I kind of love those moments where you, like for some reason culturally you're not supposed to do that thing and you're like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to do this thing. Whether it's like, I'm not going to get a government job. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Or I'm not going to wear a skirt. I'm going to wear pants. Or I'm not going to wear pants. I'm going to wear a skirt if you're like a man or a woman or whatever. Yeah. Like those moments where you have a curiosity and you follow it as opposed to being told what you should and shouldn't do and kind of living according to some other should that isn't yours. So, yeah, so I feel like tantric workshops can be kind of scary, but also that's kind of the pleasure of it. It's like, okay, like, yeah, what, what's this adventure? What's this curiosity? Where am I going with this? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, like, my current, my current way of thinking is that there's something that I could go along to and I, I feel scared about going into that thing. That's a pretty good indication that I should go to it. There's something there for you. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And then usually... Usually it is pretty challenging to go, or there's moments of challenging, but, you know, looking back on it, it's like, well, there wasn't anything too ridiculous about that. Like, I wasn't put in any vulnerable situations or, you know, felt like I was unsafe. Yeah. It was just, yeah, like, incrementally moving me along a particular path and opening my understanding and yeah I guess subtly disrupting (laughs) indeed your life (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and I think the the thing that I really appreciate that I discovered that so so that tantric workshops offer and then by learning it at the workshop is something that you then take into your life is this ability to feel what you really want to do and be able to move from that place so you're Mm. not abandoning your authentic desire you're tuning into it and acting from your authentic desire and that way you are kept safe because you're never doing anything that you don't want to do you're only ever doing the stuff that feels really fucking good to you yeah and then of course like the first time I did that in a workshop and I said no to someone it was it was just this like question game that we were playing and you said yes or no depending on what you wanted and no one was doing any of the questions but like acting on them they were just asking the questions and the first time I just said no to someone, just that, that's it. Not like, no, oh, but I still like you. Like, no offense. Like, don't, you know, don't worry. Or like, oh, it's just, it's just that I've got a sore back. So no, um, maybe not right now. Just plain, straight, no. It was so thrilling and so empowering. And I was just like, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, years passed and I left my job and went to art school and like kept like saying yes and no to the things that I really wanted. And, yeah, that's a good time. Yeah, mm. that is powerful. I think it's, it's powerful to say no to something, particularly if you don't have another option available to, at that moment. I'm just thinking about life mm. in general, I suppose. Yeah. But, I mean, how do, you, how do you get people to start tapping into that and then acting upon it? There's probably two steps, isn't there? There's there being the awareness and then having the courage and the, um, the spine to then just yeah. own that. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, so I like to think about it as there's a fuck yes and then there's everything else. So there's the no, there's the maybe, there's the 
well, if I, you know, if I have to, then okay. Or, well, my mum would think that's a good idea or <laughs> yeah. he would think it's a good idea or, you know. Yeah. And then there's like absolute hell yes, I really want to do this thing. And that is, that's really what you're kind of gunning for. But, you know, there's, there's also no perfection here as well. It's just like, it's just kind of knowing that there's this beacon of the fuck yes. And that's what you're kind of moving towards. Mm. And then feeling, feeling that fuck yes or noticing what your response is in your body. Like, what does your body want? What does your heart want? What does your emotion want? And then what is your mind saying as well? Because often we just let our mind make the decisions and the, the volume's really loud on our, you know, mind radio. And everything else kind of gets turned down, our body and our heart, except for moments where you're drunk or something, perhaps where the body's mm. like turned right up and everything, all the other dials are way down. Yeah. But yeah, so, so tuning into those and kind of like moving towards whatever. So say if there's like a fu- your body's like, fuck, yeah, I really want to have a nap. <laughs> and your, um, your mind and your heart is like, yeah, I really love um, like snuggling with my partner or whatever. That would feel really nice. Like say that you're going to have a nap together. And then your mind's like, oh, no, but I have, I have that essay that I need to write. Like I still have a thousand words to go. So whatever's happening with that, all good noticing and if it is something that you would like to move towards doing what is it in your mind that you need to be a fuck yes like is it is, does your mind need to be told okay we'll do this for 20 minutes and then and then we can get onto the essay or actually I can get my brother to write it I don't need to write it or <laughs> yeah. whatever it is so you're able to kind of negotiate that and then of course yeah being able to communicate it like owning the the self-respect and self-love really give yourself what you need and to allow your yes to be important, not just someone else's yes. And to make your, to allow your no to be important, not just someone else's desires. So Mm. yeah, it's an incredible act of self-love actually to feel what you want and then be able to act on that. Yeah. Mm. I think maybe it's good. Why don't we go back a little bit to how you got into this stuff, maybe even a little bit further and your own yeah, upbringing in a Christian kind of environment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where where did you grow up and, and what was the environment like? So I grew up in Johannesburg in South Africa with a really, like, super loving family, a very Christian family. And I went to Christian school and then we moved to New Zealand and to Auckland and then I lived there and travelled and so on in my later years. But, yeah, and then I moved to Melbourne a few years ago. But my, my family, super loving, but very, very strict Christians and always, yeah, just always was told like sex before marriage was just not okay. Yeah, you have to be like born again Christian to enter the gates of heaven type stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah. Very familiar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I just, I there was, for most of my life, there wasn't really a moment where I, I just, I just always knew that God was real. Like when I learned my colors, my numbers, you know, my sums, how to read, like I just all throughout that, like I just was always told that God was and Jesus was there and that there was this kind of like rule book that kind of went along with it. Yeah. So what about you? What was your story? Yeah. Grew up in Melbourne. My dad was a minister at a church. I'm uh, yeah, hardcore Assemblies of God church. So, you know, full on Pentecostal. Oh, wow. Yeah, same, same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't go to Assemblies of God, but like neighboring churches. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
yeah, just I think for me, sexuality was always a little bit, there was a guilt associated with it and a dirtiness and a wrongness. Yeah. It was to be suppressed and, yeah, so my whole world was church, like, you know, youth group and I went to a Christian school and, yeah. you know, church twice on Sunday kind of thing. And um, it's taken me to my 30s to really break out of that and mm. understand, and, you know, it's people like you and um, Eyal and I guess just maybe doing a bit of my own research around this stuff and even going to things like Five Rhythms mm-hmm. and just starting to, but even I think how it started really was uh, meditation actually and yeah. then just being connected to my body, like going from thinking that my brain and my body were two separate things and my brain was superior to understanding that they're actually so interconnected and accepting my body for the first time and then then it's just been sort of gradual, incremental um, understandings up to this point. Yeah, it's. I'm constantly fascinated by how we... Again, culturally and particularly with Descartes, you know, I think therefore I am, like the mind is the superior thing. It is totally privileged over the body. But then certainly in Christianity where, you know, the flesh has fallen, it's sinful, mm. you can't trust your body. The only yeah. thing that you can really trust is your spirit and God, yes. which is always yeah. ascending into the heavens, not, you know, into the down into the body. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's been a big journey for me actually for my body to kind of come up to the same level in terms of appreciation and trust as my mind and my spirit and for it actually to be like you know as tantra sees the body is an avenue to god that the flesh is not a distraction from god it it is god and that's like where you find more of god and that there's incredible yeah that it's sacred and um yeah it's been like a pleasure to explore that but also like there's moments where i've been like ah, why did everyone tell me this earlier? Like, I can't believe I'm only discovering this now. Yeah. But rather late than never, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel too. Like, I, I mean, it's taken me a bit longer than you, but I'm just glad to be here at some mm. point in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it would have been quite easily to go through a whole life without uh, waking up to this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Was there a moment for you that, started you on this transition or was it a, a series of events or, you know, did, how did you go from that world to where you mm. are now? Well, I, in terms of my Christianity, so I guess I was always a bit like sexually curious and so I was one of the first girls in my school to have sex and yep. I, I think of myself as a, you know, sexual pioneer now. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, that was not how it was considered. It was like <laughs> like just absolute calamity because I was quite young, had no idea what I was really doing. I didn't really pay attention in sex ed because I just thought that I would, the only person I would have sex with would be my husband. And then, <laughs> and then I was Me like, too. wait, <laughs> I think it's going to be this guy actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, and and then I became, I chose Christianity for myself a few years later because I, I just didn't really have any good mentors at the time to really show me how to transition into adult, you know, playfulness. And so I was just this, like, kid basically, like, toying around in worlds that I just wasn't quite ready for. And I wish actually, like, looking back then, I really wish that I had some kind of, like, sexual mentor or something or, like, someone that I could talk to about the stuff, but having parents who, Mm. like, there was no way that that would be allowed and 
like they, they weren't going to be the ones to, you know, support me through figuring out how to, you know, have sex or do drugs or anything like that. It was either like um, happening in secret or not happening at all. Yeah. So, you know, I naturally chose happening in secret. Anyway, stuff got messy and then I turned to church again, which was awesome. I played a lot of board games, went camping a lot. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> sang a lot of songs. Yeah, sang a lot. And then, yeah, it wasn't until I went overseas and I was 18 and started being out of the habit of church every week, being out of the kind of expectation of the, you know, Caitlin who reads her Bible and Caitlin who knows about this and Caitlin who likes that kind of thing. Just absolute blank slate. No one expected anything from me. I I was in London. So I I realized I could kind of be anyone. And then as soon as I kind of had this opportunity to be anyone, I was like, oh, I don't have to do all the other stuff I was doing before. Like, I just get to be whoever, like, this person is now. Mm. Yeah, it was from that moment that I started to realize that I could, you know, I was attracted. I felt, I, in my teens, I noticed myself being attracted to women as well, and that was not okay at the church I went to. And then I was like, oh, I get to, I get to, like, potentially do that (laughs) and I get to like you know if I want to kiss my boyfriend I can and like all of these different things so so that was fun that was kind of like me first coming back to myself I guess and starting to trust my body's direction that like it did want to do this it didn't want to do that I don't want to read the bible right now actually I actually just want to nap (laughs) this podcast is a lot about napping for me (laughs) um or whatever and so yeah like tuning a bit more into my my body's knowledge and my heart's knowledge not just my head's knowledge Mm. um and then that was great and what I didn't realize though is that like leaving God and leaving the church also meant that I was leaving my sense of security and that my, my sense of everything's going to be okay and that I'm worthy and I matter and my life is going to be all right. So um, I sort of started not having that anymore. I started to try and piece things together myself and try and hold things together myself. And one way that I tried to do that, and this is like, you know, a 20-year-old's brain figuring stuff out, I was like, I know, I'll just be really pretty. I'll be really thin and I'll be really pretty and that'll make people think that I'm exceptional and make people want to love me and that'll be how I can keep things together. And uh, so I did that for a few years and basically made myself incredibly miserable and it's a like a fallacy. I mean, and there's so many ways that we do this, I guess, these kinds of currencies that we trade in or like measurements that we hold ourselves to, that it's impossible either to get there ever or once we're there, then it takes so much effort to try and maintain that. So say, for example, body weight, even if you do get down to the size that you think you're supposed to be, it's not like then you've made it and then you just get to relax and you're still obsessing and still making sure that you, you know, within this like very narrow bracket of who you think you should be. Yeah, and so... Then after realizing, and I was also super feminist at the time as well. I mean, I still am, but I was writing my honors thesis in um, geographies of art and looking at post-structuralist feminist research methodologies and like really, really highly conscious of how, you know, society channels us into uh, these expected norms of, you know, oh, you're a woman, you should be like that. Oh, you're African-American, you should be like that. Oh, you are in a wheelchair, you got to be like that. 
So, and I didn't want to be like that. And I didn't want to like fall trapped to those things. And so I was really disappointed in myself that despite knowing all that stuff, I still was, still really believed at my heart of hearts that I needed to follow these really like dumb rules made by Hollywood and media and like God knows who. But then I eventually admitted to myself and admitted to my boyfriend what was going on and um, ended up seeing a mindfulness therapist. And that's kind of where I ended up discovering Tantra and, yeah, these other ways of connecting with myself and my worth and my, my own pleasure and, yeah, connecting with others as well, not being so afraid of other people and their mm. judgment and mm. whatever. Yeah, yeah, so it's been like, it's been quite the journey and it's still continuing. As I say, like I'm still seeing a therapist and it's kind of like, I feel like I'm, you know, like we, we all kind of have a television show, a pet television show that we've all got. Like everyone's got one, like an iPhone or something. Yeah. Everyone's got one. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I kind of feel like, like with television shows, like there's, you know, an installment each week or something. And I feel like therapy is kind of like that where you're getting to know all these characters where you're like, hmm. oh my God, I had no idea that person like had that thing going on with them and who knew that this thing could happen between them and oh, isn't that interesting? And yeah, so I'm kind of, yeah, entertained, but also um, developing as a human with my therapist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw a therapist for about six or seven years as well. And it was, it was amazing, amazing journey for me. He was probably my main mentor in my life too, that I've had. But just, yeah, that weekly check-in of just having someone dedicated to listening yeah. to what's going on with you, I found, to what was going on with me, I found very scary to start with, but then um, so helpful mm. as I got into it. Yeah. How did you, how did you know? Because, yeah, I, like, I had no idea that people saw therapists for such a long time too. The, I, the longest I'd had was maybe like six, nine months or something. Yeah. And then my, I was talking to my therapist therapist about it and he was like yeah some people have been seeing me for like 15 years <laughs> yeah. like whoa really yeah how did you how did you come to the point where you're like okay I think I'm done or I was finished mm. uh, <laughs> he passed away oh okay <laughs> yeah. oh wow yeah so he was a bit older he was actually um he was 72 he wasn't that old but he, he died a little bit suddenly in the middle of like a bit of a personal crisis as well so it wasn't he kind of got me through a big part of it, which was amazing. And then yeah. um, I actually, his wife was a therapist as well. So I actually ended up seeing her for a few months after that. Just felt like, I felt like I wanted to see how I went without it for a while. I just yeah. wanted to, I kind of wanted to, and what's actually happened is, yeah, I've, it's been replaced by a number of other things. Yeah. A number of other people yeah, in, I guess, shorter-term kind of arrangements or less regular arrangements, mm -hmm. but from a broader a broader array of life experiences mm. as well or um, or um, knowledge areas. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I feel, I feel similarly as well. Um, there's, like, moments where, yeah, a lot of your attention and development focus will be in this one area and then other times where... Yeah, it's like five rhythms, coffee with your mum, mm. camping, um, yeah. meditation retreat, a tantric retreat, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like these different things that all kind of are getting different, yeah, different facets of your, your being. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if it might be useful for people to actually hear who might be very new to this as well, like what 
tantra actually is and what it means and how maybe going on from that is the second question. Let's start there and then, yeah, I've got another question for you. Yeah, cool. So tantra originates from ancient India and there's many documents and scripts that have gone into, you know, developing what tantra is from lots of different gurus and thinkers and explorers, some really conservative and some really radical And, yeah, as I was saying earlier, one of the primary things with Tantra, which is really different to what a lot of other spiritual practices do, is, yeah, Tantra sees everything as a path to you connecting more deeply with yourself, with others, and the divine. Whereas, as we were saying in Christianity, like, say, for example, sex is a distraction and it's a bad thing and it will not get you closer to God. Whereas Tantra is like, yep. Sex is definitely where God lives and the more that you explore that mindfully and explore that in a way where you aren't forcing things but you're just being and, yeah, being and really being open, that's where you find more of yourself, more of of connection with others and more of the divine. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's food, it's connections with others, it's sexuality, it's meditation, it's sensation and pleasure it's like everything and also the shadow as well so again where a lot of other spiritual practices have no-go zones or um, things that are bad or things that prove that you're not being a good follower of this you know you're not a good disciple or something tantra doesn't have that so much but rather again it's like just looking more mindfully or experiencing stuff mindfully you know whether it's your fear of rejection or your, I don't know, love to eat way too much food or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, inviting inviting those things that usually are in the shadow that you're trying to reject and pretend that they're not really there or just willing them into disappearing, inviting them to the party, asking them like, what music do you want to play? What food did you bring? What stories do you have for us? And, yeah, welcoming them into a space of health and compassion and, yeah, oneness and wholeness as opposed to rejection. Because they're there anyway and they're a part of you. Exactly. And what there's that saying, um, you know, whatever you repress expresses itself anyway. Yeah. So even if you, I don't know, like your money, your total fear of money or whatever, you can repress that, but that will emerge in some part of your life whether it's I don't know very obviously like incredible debt or um your I don't know social anxiety or your inability to like be totally creative or whatever it is so yeah you're really not serving yourself by continuing to reject these aspects of yourself that you wish didn't exist yeah but actually yeah and I mean slowly slowly like there's no there's no like perfection that you're supposed to be moving towards or anything like that like I think there's also, I, I know I can do this a lot where I beat myself up and try and be like, like with self-help, it's like I should be, like my mental health should be, I should have a perfect bill of health, like mentally, physically, creatively, business-wise, money-wise, like everything must be perfect. And so I think that that's not helpful either. Mm. But yeah, more just, it's just like, it's just about getting into a place of ease and flow and whatever we can do to kind of move more towards that, that's going to help. Yeah. 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 I think maybe what I want to ask about then is oh, there's a few things. I want to talk about just this, there's something about this idea of 
communication that was quite foreign to me, I think, about sexuality to start with in my repressive years. But mm-hmm. seems to be, and I think you describe it as like a enthusiastic consent or something like that, but like yeah. just that um, like asking for what you want but also speaking up about what you do and don't want as well. There's something about, anyway, yeah, is that, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Does that yeah, bring totally. anything up for you when I yeah? Yeah, talk about so it? that um, sort of echoes with what we were talking earlier about the fuck yes mm, yeah. and feeling what does my body really want? What does my heart really want? What does my mind really want? And because so often we operate from a place of shoulds, like this is what sexy looks like. Oh, I'm sure he wants me to do this. Oh, she definitely can't be interested in doing this anymore. We better swap positions or, you know. Yeah. And so there's just so much mind reading that you're doing, being like, do I really want to do this? Do I really look good right now? Is it really time for that? Or whatever. What ends up happening is that you can often just be really in your head. And the other person is often also really in their head. And you're both trying to be in each other's heads as well, figuring out what's going on. Yeah. Um, So what then happens is, and if you've meditated before, you'll know the more that you're like thinking, thinking, thinking about something, the less you're actually in the moment, in your body, in the experience of it. And particularly with intimacy, that is such a, it's such a tactile and energetic experience when you're really just like focusing on thinking about it and analyzing it you're kind of missing these really core, beautiful parts of the experience. Mm. Yeah, so really letting yourself melt into your, your body, your heart and your mind and tune into what's there and then be able to, what, whatever you're needing, whatever you're wanting, just being able to communicate that and hopefully your partner is also, can also be in that space too so that they aren't operating from a place of shoulds either and when they say yes or no you can just trust that it's a yes or a no and you don't need to be then reevaluating. wait is it a really a yes or a no or is she just being nice or is he just saying that because you know blah 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 yeah so yeah so it's really it's an incredible as i was saying before it's an incredible act of self-love to tune into what you really want and be able to act on that but it's also a real gift to your partner as well where they can just trust you and trust what you're saying you're wanting is what you're wanting so that you can both just melt into the experience and, yeah, not be so, yeah, caught up in your head. And I think even, like, the bit that I would often get stuck on is thinking that I should just know as mm. well and that talking about something or asking about something is unsexy in the yeah. moment and can kind of kill the moment. But yeah. I don't know if that's true. Like, I think that's probably the opposite. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, what what's sexier, being stuck in your head trying to read each other's minds, being like, oh, I should know the answer to this, <laughs> yeah. but I don't, so I'm just going to keep thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Or just being like, hey, does that feel good? Ah, what would you like differently? Okay, cool. Mm. And then doing that and then both of you are just like moving on to the next thing and like going deeper and deeper into the the bliss of the experience as opposed to being stuck in your head and you're right the, the other thing with communicating what you want and communicating your boundaries as well means that if you know the line to which you can play to you're able to use that whole space for your playground as opposed to like say for example these behavioral scientists did um, a test with these kids and they put these kids in this big wide empty field and just said We'll just leave you here for a bit. You can just play. We'll be back. We'll just be over there, but you can just, you know, play. And then they measured 
how the space that the kids played in, like the you know square meters. And then they did the same test again, but this time they put a perimeter around the kids, like a little fence. Again, measured the space that these kids played in, and they discovered that with the perimeter, knowing like the kids seeing this boundary of safety, the kids played right up to that fence and mm. played on the fence. They played um, all sorts of games like throughout the entire space. What the idea there is is that when you have a really clear boundary of I know that up to here, this is where this is what feels good. And I know that anything beyond this will not feel as good. So I can play within this entire space as opposed to not knowing where that line is. And so you, then you're constantly guessing, like, yeah. maybe I'll, I'll just, I won't, I won't kiss her ear because I don't know if she actually likes it. So I'll just, I just won't. I just won't even go near her neck, actually, because, you know, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just kiss her mouth. And, um, yeah. Versus, or, or, you know, like, all the way to the impact play or, I don't know, the lights on or the lights off or whatever it is. Knowing, kind of knowing what the boundaries are means that you actually have way more freedom because you don't have to be wondering or staying small just in case you cross the boundary. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something even more broadly about how constraints help us to be more creative. Yeah, there is that. And yeah. um, I wonder... Like in the bedroom as well, if those constraints can just be almost arbitrarily put in place from time to time to see what creativity that yeah, brings about. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, see, there you go. There you go, yeah. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> the other thing that you touched on earlier too was just about, and I think you're talking about this with your own journey, but just more broadly too, about understanding yourself and exploring your own sexuality as an yeah. individual. Yeah. How can people go about doing that? Mm. So, yeah, when I first started exploring Tantra, it was because I felt really, so I had, you know, all sorts of body image issues, confidence, um, anxiety, depression issues. And so I wanted to explore mindfulness in the bedroom. And that was particularly, um, I was thinking about me with partners and I wanted to feel more at ease and more confident with partners. And then when I started exploring Tantra, I, I found that really the first lover is you. You are your first lover. And we are so quick to put our attention on our partner and make sure that they're having a good time, make sure that we're looking good while we're doing it and we're doing it all right. Yeah. But what Tantra gets you to explore is, yeah, this relationship with yourself and really nourishing yourself as if you were as if you were your own lover. So all the generosity you would give, all the attention, all of the sweetness and compliments and time and patience and whatever that we would so easily give to our partner actually be able to you know let that circle back and be for us yeah. and one really simple way that I started exploring that was just in mindful self-pleasure practices so spending half an hour and really slowly without rushing at all, because this is the other thing, as soon as we start to get into like intimacy and bedroom kind of interactions with ourselves or with others, it can, we can kind of be fulfilling a script. There's, you know, start with this, move to that, mm. and then within five minutes, make sure you're here and whatever. And also sometimes if it's someone that we've known for a long time or, you know, our own bodies, which we've been around you know, our whole lives, we can get, kind of get into a bit of a rut with it or there's no real spontaneity or anything. We're just following what we did last time. So the difference with this is kind of clearing the slate 
and experiencing your body as if it's a body that you've never experienced before and mm. like giving yourself a lot of time and bringing mindfulness to your touch as well. So like really feeling every sensation, really feeling what it feels like to clench a fist and what it feels like to touch the back of your knees and um, the sensation of uh, your fingertips on your neck and to kind of yeah touch yourself and explore what it feels like to touch your body and to be touched by your hands slowly and really following your pleasure, not pushing it, because that, that's another thing that we can often do is either we're tired or we're nervous about our performance or we don't want to take too long or whatever. So what we often rush our pleasure, particularly for women, and um, trying, which, like forcing it along, like, come on, like, you know, herding cows. Like, mm. we really need to get to that, you know, like <laughs> orgasm peak ASAP. Hurry your ass up. <laughs> yeah. um, and so this is this self-pleasure practice is really just about bringing pleasure to the body. It's not about orgasm necessarily. That's not excluded. Like you, you know, if you want to get to that, you can. But again, it's not about having an expectation. It's not about having a goal that you're trying to get to. It's really just about, yeah, bringing pleasure to your body and enjoying it yeah. and discovering what's there. Because the first time I did this practice, I was actually working for the New Zealand government at the time and I had like full-blown depression and um, I went home I lived really close and I went home at lunch because I was just like too depressed for life so I just went home and decided that I would try this practice and just lay on my bed and it was the first time that I discovered the backs of my knees and what it really felt like to give myself this really like loving touch that I I'd given lots of other people but had never given to my own body. And then I just, I cried for like 25 minutes <laughs> yeah. because, yeah, it was, it was, I felt really empowered because I knew that I could give that to myself, that thing that I was craving and it felt really elusive, this like self-love, pleasure, enjoying my own body thing. And then there I was able to give it to myself. And then just like just indulging in the like the sweetness and the like nice sensations of it. It was just yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful story, by the way. And there's something about yeah, not not having a time frame and not having a goal and just being as you've been talking about, being in the moment and soaking up all that this moment has to offer. And because there's there's so much richness and so much pleasure just in uh, the most basic of things around yeah, us. Yeah, totally. And I t teach these touch meditation workshops based on some of Betty Martin's work. She's a sexological body worker. Yeah. Really brilliant. She has a lot of stuff around um, consent and giving and receiving. Really good. But one of the things in the touch meditation we t uh, she talks about and I teach in the workshops, the slower you go, the more your brain is able to absorb through the information at your fingertips or whatever it is that you're touching. Yeah. So, you know, particularly in your hands, you've got a whole lot of brain neurons dedicated to sensing what's happening in your hands. And the slower you go, the more your brain is able to pick up and absorb, which means that the information is richer, which means that what was just like a little touch of the fingertip on your palm became this like incredibly massive feeling the slower you go mm. and yeah but when you rush it it just kind of feels like a just like a like just a touch but the slower you go it can feel really like rich and 
yeah, like an ocean of touch, not just a little like pinprick of touch. Yeah. Yeah. So so speed and slowing down can be massive. Yeah. yeah. Question two about say couples that have been together for a long time and maybe feeling like they're in a bit of a rut. There's this idea about uh, I haven't actually read the book, but I've heard the lady talk a little bit about uh, it's called mating in captivity. Esther mm, Perel. Is it? Yeah. yeah. And just about giving the other space to, a, to almost enable that polarity. Mm-hmm. And I know I've, I think in past relationships I've been in the situation where I almost have feared that and done the opposite of what. You feared the staleness or feared the distance? Feared the distance because I yeah. thought that would break things, yeah. not spark things. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, even, you know, just texting a lot or just even little things mm. like that, you know, kind of being a little bit too needy maybe or like, yeah. But yeah. that's something I guess I've been learning about recently. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I um, I read Mating in Captivity a little while ago, my housemate lent it to me. It's a great book and she's got some really great TED Talks. We can maybe we can share that in the show notes yeah, some of her yeah. um her talks. And yeah, I mean it makes it makes sense to me that, that so the the idea is that the the more distance that you have, well there's a sweet spot. You don't want too much distance mm. between your you and your partner because then you start to feel disconnected. But when you're too close, it's like it's like having someone too close to your face. It's just like the you can't focus they just like you can feel their breath on it was just like it's too much and you can't see them yeah. but when there's a bit of distance you can see you know their face and their hair and the way that the light hits their shoulders and the distance kind of allows you to yeah really take in this person and like feel that desire for them but if they're too close like you've really got them in your sphere you can't desire something that you really have in a way yeah so yeah so having that distance and it's it's a conceptual distance like I think the idea is that you're still you still feel safe with one another and you still feel like you're in each other's orbits and you're still connected but there's enough of a distance that that you don't feel smothered by each other you have yeah a space of sizzle I think for Mm. me the analogy is um it's like a fire and sometimes you need to give fire air for it to really burn and burn brightly yeah and yeah, sometimes the air can feel scary because you're like, but it's going to blow it out or whatever. But yeah, actually blowing on a fire can actually, yeah, make it really pop. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions as we start to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's a third there too, but something about, I mean, something about the work that you're doing and like why it's important today. Mm. Like, why do you, you know, it's a fun place to start, as you mentioned, but, you know, given where we are, the culture we live in, like, what what do you see as the importance of this work? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. <sighs> well, there's a few different avenues I see to this. One is I see it as really radical, as we were talking earlier Sexuality is really in the shadows. It's really judged. It's um, something that we don't talk about. And for for better or worse, like, you know, a lot of us are very happy to talk about our yoga practices and our new recipe books and mm. the new food that we're eating and whatever. And we, we get a lot by sharing stories and we get a lot by um, sharing vulnerabilities as well of, 
you know, like I've, I've really struggled with, you know, this particular, like my, my food, like I'm, I feel like I'm eating, I don't have control over my eating or whatever it is. Yeah. And that might be something that we're more able to talk about. But when it comes to sexuality, it's like we're all kind of, you know, zip-lipped, as you were saying. It's like there's just this perception that you should know. You should somehow know how to do it. But, you know, you learn to cook, you learn to do yoga, you learn to drive a car, you learn to do all this stuff. You learn to run even. Like, you know, running is something that you, um, you know, it's a pretty innate human thing. But then there's, like, technique and there's ways to, like, not tire yourself out and to look after your legs as you do it and to get good shoes and whatever. Yeah. So we can we we benefit from sharing stories and for things to be open. And I really feel like sexuality needs to be brought into that space of openness and exploration and curiosity and that it's something that's actually really healthy and not something that we need to be ashamed of. And our desire is not something that we need to be ashamed of and we don't need to feel guilty about it or fearful that it's, um, I don't know, not right or whatever. I, yeah, I feel like this work is so important because it takes something that's been, like sexuality has been really shrunken into this ball of rejection basically and shame and it's bringing this very human part of life back into a space of, yeah, playfulness and colour and openness and possibility. And I also feel like the this work is really empowering for a lot of people. So not only is it taking, you know, the guilt and fear and shame and transforming it into something that feels like you, something you can be proud of and just normal, but also there's particular tools and processes that you learn or sometimes I think of it as learning, but also it's kind of unlearning. It's just unlearning or like the crappy cultural conditioning we've had around how to deal with emotions, how to deal with desire, how to deal with your body or, you know. But there's, yeah, these particular things um, like communication and consent and how to explore your body and your pleasure in a, re- in a way that really works for you and a way to own your self-worth and to own your genitals in a way that you feel proud. I feel like now more than ever, especially with Donald Trump and, you know, power, that we need to be, yeah, moving towards really owning our power and owning our our worth and and com- compassion and empathy. So, yeah, I feel like this work really supports that. Quite passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just only because I'm really grateful that I've discovered it. Like yeah. there was a time where I felt really small and really insignificant and really, yeah, unworthy. And, and yeah, I just feel like this is a path that's allowed me to just feel more myself and feel more alive. And for other people, it would be spearfishing. But, um, yeah, I feel like this is a really very real and very um, tangible way to, yeah, feel more alive. Mm. Mm. You, I think I've heard you describe yourself as being sex positive. Is that what you yeah. mean? What you're talking about there, is that what you yeah. mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, bringing um, sex into a, um, a welcome, non-judgmental, empathetic, curious kind of space as opposed to, that's dirty and that's weird. Like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. Girls don't do that. Men definitely don't do that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, two final questions then. Um, the first one is about something outside of, or something that you daydream about suddenly disrupting one day. So something outside of what you're working on at the moment. Is this something that you think, yeah, I'd like to 
and that thing, I want to be part of changing that or I'd just like to see that change one day. Would someone get onto that, please? Mm. Oh, my gosh, there's so many things. <laughs> I think when I first learnt about capitalism and Marx, <laughs> I was quite intrigued. And I think one of the things that really, really stood out to me was the way that when we operate in the economy and when we work as workers, we can alienate ourselves from ourselves. So when I go to work, I check out who I really am at the door because mm. I need to be professional Caitlin now. Yeah. And when I go and buy my milk from the milk bar, I just I barely say hi to the guy because he's just the guy selling me milk and he's not really human anymore. He's just selling me milk. And, yeah, this kind of um, draining of humanity that you that happens in your own body and that we then like force other people to also have their humanity drained from them or like, you know, the tram driver or the person who's cleaning the streets. It's like they're not really humans anymore. They're just fulfilling a function. Yeah. And just like you when you go to work, you know, or, you know, people, I don't think you do because you have, you, your podcast is your job, which is really cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I would love to subtly, or I want someone to subtly, and I think we are, I feel like there's a decentralized, you know, move towards this. The more, the more that we meditate and the more that we get into our bodies and the more that we have these discussions and so on. Um, yeah, like just bringing the human mm. back to the body and back to, yeah, how we relate to each other and stop having these like really ridiculous expectations that you need to, yeah, present just one side of yourself ever professionally or, um, you know, like that you're human no matter where you go. And there might be particular things that are expressed more or less in different places, but, yeah. you know, you're, you're the father that you are at home, that you are at work. You're the, you know, person who loves salsa dancing at work as you are when you're buying milk yeah. at the milk bar. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's one of the big things for me. Yeah, I love that. And mm. I love the idea of a workplace that embraces that as well. Like I've yeah. certainly been in places that shut down emotions. Like it's almost like they're not to be trusted and your feelings, yeah, you do check them out at the door. Mm. And I think I've been at some places where it's more accepted, maybe at Huddle. I don't Huddle, know. It might yeah. be a pretty fascinating place in yeah. that regard. Yeah, yeah. Huddle's um, a strategic design agency listeners just in case you don't know and yeah they're really amazing in how they really encourage the full human to come to work and that the the organization is there to thrive as an organization but really it's there to help you thrive as a human however that looks yeah yeah which is really nice sounds amazing yeah mm. you work there at yeah. The moment. yeah yeah I do I'm just there a couple of days a week yeah yeah and the last question is about a small or subtle change that you've made in your own life. I mean, we've probably talked about a lot already, but is there one that we haven't talked about that's had, yeah, quite a, a large or profound or positive impact on mm. what you do that would be interesting for other people to hear about that, you know, they might want to try yeah. as well? Yeah. Well, I can kind of answer this in two ways. One, that luckily, we've already talked about, so I can answer this twice, which yep. I'm grateful for. One is the tuning in to your authentic desire at the, you know, the fuck yes at your body, your heart and your mind and being able to act on that. But because we've already talked about that, <laughs> <laughs> I can say another um, significant small thing that I've done that's really shifted things in my life is how I relate to discomfort. 
And I kind of feel like I'm being a little bit hypocritical right now because I know this and, oh no, not hypocritical, rather I'm reminding myself that I know this and that I really get a lot out of practicing this. Where, particularly with my Christian background, I anything that was bad, I used to resist. And anything that wasn't, because anything that was good that was from God, and that's what we've got to be moving towards. So yeah. like sadness and calamity and like, you know, bad marks on your essays or losing your job, whatever, like that's all bad stuff. That's like something went wrong there. And we've got to be moving towards like the success and the, the good, the light. Yeah, through my work with mindfulness and being able to experience all of life, the good stuff and the bad stuff, you know, getting the job and then losing the job, experiencing that all with a sense of compassion and lightness mm. and, yeah, and just, just observing it and rather than beating yourself up or resisting particular parts. And I'm particularly thinking about this when I had depression and anxiety. This was really massive. Just being able to sit with it and hold it lightly that's just been so outstanding as a ah, like to, to just to have some breath in my life and some ease instead of like more pain and because you know when you have pain and then you start freaking out about that pain and then you're just amplifying the pain because now you're adding more and more and more freaking out pain to it yeah it's just like removing all of that and just sitting with the pain that little ball of pain that you started with and just holding that lightly, warmly, lovingly, yeah, that's been really, yeah, significant for me. And I'm glad you asked me the question because I feel like I needed that reminder, actually. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of compassion, I think, has been one that I've learned, I'm learning about at the moment. It seems to be what you're talking about there, like mm. even having compassion for yourself and what you're feeling in mm. this particular moment. Yeah, yeah. totally. And it, it can be hard because we aren't trained to do that like you know you don't learn that at school it's a new habit that we're carving out for ourselves now but yeah the more the more I found myself to do it just just the more blissful things are doesn't mean that the pain goes away necessarily but there's an ease and a lightness to it yeah mm. Caitlin thanks so much for the chat oh it's been that awesome. was so nice yeah. thank you thank you for inviting me it's just been yeah really fabulous to be chatting with you the last hour yeah likewise yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. cool. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I have a question for you. Sexuality is potentially a loaded and hidden area in many people's lives. In what ways can you start to bring light and lightness to your sexuality? If you feel like sharing this or anything else about my conversation with Caitlin, you can do so by posting something on the Facebook page, through Twitter or Instagram, or even by sending me an email, adam at subtledisruptors.com. And of course, let me know if there are other subtle disruptors you think I should know about. Coming up next week, I'll be talking with Samuel Alexander about living with less, about connecting with nature and people, and enabling a new form of human flourishing. I'm Adam Murray, and I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected, and resolute in your own quest to subtle disruption. Bye for now.